1: the podcast of war gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together this is chris and hey, this is anthony and this is episode 364 bgg hotness for february 2022 we like to thank all our patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode all right everyone we are back and we are talking about the hotness for february 2022 you should have known this was coming because the weather has been so warm. And, of course, it's because of board games and knock yes. on right?
0: Right, right. We're all we're agree. All we're cool. Yeah. Great, cool. So play more board games, nicer weather, but also none of the bad things no, no, that no, no, come no. from the other thing that's probably causing the warm weather.
1: Wait a minute. I thought it was board game related. Uh, oh, come on, <laughs> man. No, don't tell me there's bad things. No, there's Too no many, many. bad things. Bad. There's no bad things in the cardboard world. There's no bad things in cardboard world. <laughs> Just click your heels and, and go there because everything in cardboard world is fine and it's all cardboardy and and smells like paper. So, yay! Welcome friends to cardboard world where everything we talk about is cardboard base. So, no reason to fret or get upset. Yes, some things are made of plastic, but that's okay too because you know cardboard world plastic is not an issue either. So, yay! <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. Uh, so we're not in denial. It's fine. I mean, carbon you know, World.
1: Carbon World. <laughs> nonetheless, we are so glad that you've joined us here this week. Again, uh I appreciate your patience as we continue to make edits and changes and make things better with the podcast. I've moved several times and had several technical issues. Hopefully this episode's better than the last. And hopefully the next episode's is even better. So again, a uh, big shout out and thanks to our Patreon backers. It's because of them that our podcast continues to get better and deals with the often craziness of actually producing a podcast. Even in cardboard world, podcast development is actually pretty expensive. So again, thanks to everyone out there. Thanks to everyone who shares the podcast. If you would like to uh, join all the Patreon backers, check us out on patreon.com. Uh, BGA you'll find us there at multitude of backing levels find amazing content down there now we haven't talked about it in quite some time but again thank everybody for being able to do that because otherwise we would not be here in cardboard world All right, Anthony (laughs) so obviously we've already talked about cardboard world which again is why we're here but our friends out there right Anthony our friends out there have other things to talk about in cardboard world we have a Question of the week, Anthony. What would that may be?
0: Question of the week. Not in Cardboard World, but coming into Cardboard Aww. World, where we live in a magical space. I'm Ooh. literally surrounded by board games. You can't see it oh, yeah. on the camera. But <laughs> left, right, I can reach out and touch them in either direction. It's great. It is Cardboard World. Um, so the question of the week this week was, what's your go-to game to wow and amaze new gamers, friends, mm-hmm. family, or otherwise? So not necessarily gateway games. But games to make them say, whoa, that's a board game? Because <laughs> we all know what people think when they hear board games. If they've never played a hobby board game, they think Monopoly. They think Scrabble. They think Monopoly and Scrabble, right? So <laughs> it's no good. It's pretty much a, um, yeah. I'm, I'm literally dealing with this right now. I'm teaching a class on board games in the spring in a couple of weeks. And I'm revising and revising my description to make sure everybody understands it's not Monopoly and it's not Scrabble. <laughs> um, so what are the games? What do people jump to? Right. So I got a few good answers here. Uh, Carlos says something big and ostentatious like Nemesis or Black Rose Wars. Uh, so he's all about big, sprawling miniatures just taking over the table. I mean, like this is a board game, which Maybe people wouldn't want to play it, but they would certainly be impressed with how much stuff is in that box. <laughs> it's true. Uh, AC mentions um, how people tend to be bewildered at, it, at their collection, which is a fun ego boost, but also laughable because it is not extensive and they really do not know games. <laughs> so, um, he likes to bust up Catan with the little pewter bits that he've up- upgraded it with, as well as kind of the go-to has become Wingspan. Because it's beautiful, fun, mostly easy to teach and play. And people sure like the Birdhouse Dice Tower. So They do. I think Wingspan's a pretty good example. It's A good reason why that game has sold a million copies. Peter um, sure. has mentioned modern art. He says the, the role-playing is real. The CMON edition art is great fun to discuss. Then as people get into it and see how strategic the hand management is, you get to see their eyes have this aha moment as they see how much game there is underneath the laughs. Um that's a really good example. Uh because mm. often you get games that feel light up front and they just are. You know, and it's yes. fun. Everybody has fun, but you don't realize what's underneath the surface. Uh but modern art does have a lot there. There's a lot of meat to it once you get past the goofy elements. Uh Corey mentions Quacks of Quedlinburg, another kind of go-to family weight game that's really accessible. Um, as well as the crew, uh, which is one of my answers, because I think it's a really good one. Mm. A lot of people have played maybe not traditional trick-taking games that we play, like hobby trick-taking games, but some version of it, right? There's a lot of um, card games going back in the day that are kind of familiar. Uh, Roman mentions Hanamakoji in a one-on-one setting. It's quick and becomes full of calculated decisions. I would agree with that, but I've had issues with that game because of the theme before, um, where people are put off by the geishas and, and the Just the general approach to it. It it feels at first when you're playing it like kind of potentially icky. And once you see there's nothing really there to that, you're like, okay, I guess this is fine, but it could definitely put off non gamers pretty quickly. Um, So, yeah, lots of good answers there. Uh, You know, for me, the crew is definitely one um, because it's really easy to teach and people just get immediately flustered, but then they want to beat the puzzle of it and figure it out as a group, which is always fun. Honestly, like cooperative games in general, I think, are really good for showing people what games can do. Because most people, if if their background is Monopoly and Scrabble and Life, you know, they haven't played a cooperative game. They've played games where you roll dice and make your friends cry. And these games, you roll dice and you all cry together. Like It's, <laughs> it's, it's a new thing. Um, so really anything in the cooperative genre. Um, I would say Pandemic, but not really anymore. So, uh, Lots of good stuff out there, though, for that.
1: Yeah, I, I guess, obviously, it always depends on the audience. I guess one of the easy go-to games that, you know, really is colorful and dynamic and has a lot of fun to it would probably be Dinosaur Island, just because you have all that plastic in play. Mm. And yet, at the same time, there's, like, I believe there's four different boards so you just all do the one thing and then, and then follow that throughout. And the instructions are practically on the board. So there really isn't anything that's too overly complicated. And then the mechanisms that kind of take place as far as security of dinosaurs, too many dinosaurs, too many people, and all those kind of things is relatively straightforward. And yet at the same time, it's a bombastic you know, production. Like the color, the pieces, everything is kind of out there. So it does have that draw. But when you sit down and play it, it's never been that complicated for anybody at the table because we all do the same thing at the same time. All the information's open and all the decision making happens in that specific spot. There's nothing that you have to think of like, you know, a half hour ahead if you were playing like Agricola or Russian Railroads or something like that. Just like, nope, right now, what's the best decision? Cool. Next, what's the best decision? And you can kind of play along with that. Um, so spectacle and gameplay, I think is a lot of easy and fun. And again, that's a game that I can pull out without reading the instructions whatsoever and always get to the table. I I guess the only other one, if I wanted to go a little bit more on the plastic side would probably be something along the lines of like blood rage, because again, Mm. it's a relatively easy game to play because your rage, your rage that you have available is your action points, and then you have a certain number of characters you could play. And then there's a drafting element to it. That's pretty much it. Again, a lot of these games look a lot more complicated than they are. They're pretty much pretty straightforward unless you've kind of taken them, you know, off the rails or something, thinking that they're something that they're not. But otherwise, you know, the games that are simple and easy to get to the table but do have that, I think you said, Anthony, like that game presence, I think is essential. Or like you said, that mechanic that like, oh, I really want to figure this out. I think that's very important as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just like showing them that games can be something different than what they think they are without it being yeah. overwhelming. I think is the key, right? It's it's the perception of it, the rhetorical perception of it. So they're not like instantly overwhelmed. Like even gateway games sometimes can be overwhelming. Oh, yeah. If you oh, yeah. choose the wrong one.
1: Well, they often feel like, you know, Ticket to Ride is often like the predominant, you know, gateway game. But you sit down with that map and you try to, mm-hmm. you know, suss out how you're going to get from one side of the board to the other and get the right colors and someone blocks you and there's your whole day. You know, it's just, I mean, a lot of those games can be challenging. And again, unintentionally, like it's not supposed to be that complicated or challenging. It's supposed to be kind of game friendly, but if you're holding a card in your hand and you can't complete it, (laughs) (laughs) it's a bad time. It's a bad time all around. So but uh, thank you all a whole of you for uh, responding on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everywhere that you find Board Gamers Anonymous. Again, if you find that we're not someone or some place out there, um, let us know so we can hit them up and kind of expand the cardboard universe out there. So getting more gaming out there, get more people into board gaming, just share this podcast. We seem very complicated and You know, overly intellectual, but we're just a bunch of fun fun people looking to get games to the table. So uh, recommend the games, but also recommend the podcast. All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on with our listeners. Let's get on to the games that we want at the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders.
0: All right. So for me, um, I have a game that is on Kickstarter right now. It is called Just Earth which okay. is both elegant in its simplicity and a terrible name for marketing purposes. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, sorry, guys. It's a beautiful cover. I love the artwork. I love the name. It's just no good. It's hard to search for.
1: Where did oh, they get this Earth name from? Because it seems very unique and easily searchable online and definitely not everything else that exists practically.
0: <laughs> I'm surprised there's no game, other game called Earth, but then you think about it and you're like, Maybe because it's not a great name. I so don't know.
1: We should, we should do a top 10 list of just bad board game names because this one is pretty bad, but it's not the worst. You know what the worst is, right? Oh, come on. No,
0: it's a... Oh, oh my God. It's a tip of my tongue. Yeah. The worst board game name is The Game. Yes, 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 yes. Impossible like to search for. Impossible, impossible to search for. Oh, let me search
1: for The Game. Okay. <laughs> The real game behind the game is trying to find the game on a game site or online. Because why? I don't know why you did that. But they did it. So therefore, here we are.
0: Yeah. If you type the game into Board Game Geek, the first response is the Game of Life. And then Arkham Horror the Card Game. And then Mage Knight Board Game. And then Star Wars X-Wing Miniatures Game. These don't even have the game in them. There is a game just with the game. And it doesn't show up in the search. I'm sorry to derail your game about earth (laughs) Earth. game of earth. You know,
1: you know, earth Um, on
0: earth. We just a little, but the game actually looks very good. So let me, let me tell you why the game looks good. (laughs) Uh, so this is from inside up games and designed by Maxime Tardif who designed brilliance and mini diver city. So lots of in the past little puns in the the game names, got rid of the puns, just earth now. Um, (laughs) but brilliant is very good actually so i i do like that game quite a bit we never ended up reviewing it but i did get a chance to play that with my family at some point and we had a lot of fun with it so earth is an engine building game that seems to borrow a lot of mechanics from the puerto rico san juan race for the galaxy family of of card games right so you start the game with uh, you're going to create your own island. You're going to select from island climate ecosystem cards. And it basically gives you a unique starting combination of hand sizes, resources, and abilities. And because you're using these different cards to do that, there's thousands of different possibilities for starting asymmetry. Um, I know people's first question of that would be like, is it balanced? And I'm like, I don't know, probably not. But what games are really balanced, <laughs> right? <laughs> Who cares? It's not competitive play. Um, So then you're going to choose one of a few different actions. You're going to plant stuff. You're going to compost, water, or grow. So you're just kind of cultivating the earth. Um, There's a major action that you will get as the person picking it. Then there's minor actions that other people get to take as well. So the minor benefit goes around the table, similar to uh, all those games I just mentioned, where other people get to do stuff as well, but you get to the bonus benefit of picking it. Um, You'll gain various types of resources, Soil, compost, plant cubes, growth pieces, cards, all sorts of cool stuff. And it goes into your personal tableau. So you have a tableau that's four by four of cards and you're trying to fill it. Right. So the first person to fill their four by four tableau will trigger the end of the game. So, again, similar to those race like games where when you hit that magical number of 12 or 16, the game ends and you see who has the most points. Um, Same kind of thing. Right. Right. But these tableau cards, again, similarly, are going to activate throughout the game. So when different actions are taken or different things happen, you'll activate these different cards and they'll do different things. You'll have these compost pieces. You'll have the plant cubes. You'll have the growth pieces. They'll go onto the cards and they'll interact with them in different ways that kind of help generate points um, in the process. So there's pictures on here on the Kickstarter of just like little stacks of discs and cubes and bits on top of cards. It looks like a nightmare if you have a cat. But um, it's pretty. It creates these little trees and plants and stuff on your table. And there's a lot of stuff in the box. So I think it's 300-something unique cards. Um, big, big deck of cards. Lots of different possibilities in terms of you know how you're actually going to play it out. Dozens and dozens of growth pieces and plant cubes and all this different stuff. So it's like I, I keep comparing it to those other like Race for the Galaxy, Puerto Rico uh ecosystems of games and it's not really like that but it just keeps reminding me of that because of the card mechanics but there's like all these bits that go into it as well so a little bit of I don't know a terraforming Mars style of tableau as well where you're like putting all these bits onto cards to activate things. Um so I don't know you're building a tableau there's the race element there's the major minor action element I like all these mechanics I like the theme I think the artwork looks okay. Um I would have preferred I think maybe like more pastel beth sobel type of artwork but 364 cards is a lot so it's a lot to kind of source in there um it looks good i'm genuinely interested in trying out this game and it's not crazy expensive um it's like 43 for the just the regular english version of the game on kickstarter i don't know what the shipping is i didn't find it on the page there but 43 bucks for the game is not too shabby considering how much stuff is jammed into the box. So I'm seriously considering it uh, because I like this type of game. It's pretty, it's a good theme. And while the name may not be great, uh, the gameplay looks solid. So that's earth. It's on Kickstarter now for looks like two more weeks when you might hear this.
1: Yeah, this, you know, immediately when I saw this, I thought terraforming Mars, right? It's just everything about terraforming Mars, but you're basically terraforming earth, right? So, all the plants and the animals that come along with it and all of that stock photography that we've seen previously all kind of wrapped into one. So it's just like, Oh, okay. This is, this is kind of fine. The funny thing about this and Anthony, like you mentioned, like this is just something very interesting because again, if you're a Euro gamer, you love yourself a, a card combo, right? Like just racking those cards up, snowballing them. And then just being like, you know, running a real engine is a lot of fun. And then in this case, you get something that is interesting and complex in a different way, right? We're not, you know, I would just say it like it's not coal to oil to metal kind of, you know, production. This is actually animal kind of and fauna, mm-hmm. you know, it's all good stuff. So, yeah, I I, I think that certainly this this has a, a really good vibe to it. Again, the stock photography is not a problem. It's fine. There's nothing as you mentioned, Anthony, really super ornate about the boards or anything that comes into play here. But this is definitely something that if you do like that part of Terraforming Mars where it's all about putting those cards together in a kind of a unique way, this is probably something that people should check out because, again, it's a pretty low price for what it is, and they do have a pretty good reputation here. So 43 bucks for the game, not too bad. I mean, obviously, if you want all the little extra doodads as far as, like, Uh, holders and things like that. But yeah, relatively good price. Check it out on Kickstarter. So cool. Nice. Um, I want to talk about a game that again, or probably should probably probably preface it a little bit better. It's not really a game as much as it is a company that does things like this. I feel like every time we talk about queen games, I'm always like, Oh cool. Another queen game is on Kickstarter. Let me ignore this immediately. And I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way, but Queen games and Kickstarter games have been so synonymous with me falling asleep in the chair, you know, after work, that it's kind of hard to get really excited about these games. I mean, recently they came out with the Stefan Feld ones. It's just like, it's kind of just kind of a Queen game, which means it's like, it's good, but it's not going to like blow you away in anything particular. And it seems to have that same artistic style and coloring to it so all the queen games look fairly similar like i i mean it, it would almost be a game where you're like hey here's a piece from a queen game and they all look kind of the same so uh old london bridge is currently on kickstarter it'll be wrapping up probably about the time that you you know listen to this so if you haven't backed it already you might just miss out on it And again, this is a game that you will eventually see all over the place because Queen Games, if they are good for anything, is they give you multiple chances to purchase their games. And typically their Kickstarter games uh, are almost always cheaper online. And I think that's kind of been the running gag over the years that their games on Kickstarter would go down to like 10, 15 bucks in some cases. So Old London Bridge is another one of their, uh, you know, Euro games out there. But again, it offers a nice new, unique gimmick so it is all about how the london bridge itself the great bridge was destroyed in a fire because it was a wood bridge of course which is challenging to say the least and then they have decided to rebuild the bridge but this time using stone so basically what you're going to be able to do in the fun part of this game is you're going to be able to make a 3d bridge um, utilizing these cards that represent the different buildings on the bridge And the primary mechanism for this, for scoring points and activating a lot of different things in the game, is going to be these individual building cards. Basically, what you want to do is have your cards, or your buildings in this case, they actually slot into like a little mini bridge for each player. So there's four players, there's four little bridges around the main board, and you slot your little card that goes on top. So again, right there alone, gimmick-wise, it's fantastic. And then what you're trying to do is have the high numbers, you know, up front, and then descend throughout your your time. You'll be picking up these different, you know, cards of different buildings in the middle of the board throughout the game. So there is obviously a standard generic action to do that, and then there's some some special actions. Again, descending order because if you do get a card that is out of order, you'll have to destroy one of your other buildings to be able to place that. There are some park cards, which allows you to create this wonderful green landscape. Again, it's just one simple card, but then that allows you to kind of restart your buildings. Obviously, you don't get the big bonus because basically when you do score your buildings on the bridge, they score in a line. So the more that you have of a certain type, the more that that particular element is going to trigger. So you'll be able to score points and money and a number of other things throughout the game. Basically all your special abilities are held there. There's a couple of other mechanisms where you'll be going around the board to gain special tokens throughout the game. Those are kind of like one shots. And you'll be also be able to get character cards that will allow you to kind of move up, move down and turn order that will make a big difference. And then scoring pot tiles, because if it's a queen game, it's always about its queenies. So there's actually going to be like final bonus kind of tokens that come into play. So once again, Old London Bridge is yet another one of Queen Games kind of like nice but not overly exciting productions a very smart idea with building the bridge that might get people to the table if you're interested it's at 49 dollars on kickstarter or probably will take plenty of late backers or pick it up later Uh, the kickstarter itself offers a lot of opportunities to pick up their other games remember what i said even if you missed this do not fret you'll have opportunities to pick up this game on later kickstarters or locally on the store and that's old london bridge anthony it's Possibly falling down. <laughs> oh no. On the branches falling down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I,
0: I, I have the exact same response to all these Queen Games Kickstarters. I completely yeah. ignored this. But uh. they
1: just they just blend into each other. They're not yeah. bad games. I want to be really clear about them. They're not bad games generally. I mean, they they've been overproduced over the years, and some of them are just generic, generic, genericness. Like I see them sometimes pop up on kicks, not Kickstarter, but like on Amazon where they're like super cheap, and I'm like, do I want another Queen game for fifteen bucks to add to my collection? I'm like, there was a time where I was a crazy person. I was like, yes, I want to buy all the things. And then as I've as if I've grown in my collection, I've been like. Do I want to spend another 15, 20 bucks for a thing that I'm not going to play or play only once? No, I don't think so. So, Yeah. (laughs) I don't know who that guy is, but
0: he's certainly changed things around. (laughs) I know. (laughs) The space became more valuable than the games. What is happening? See, and you know what? We've been
1: complaining about this for years. Now, I understand the publishers, they want to have shelf presence. But because you wanted to have shelf presence – it means that I have less less shelf space to put games up. Imagine if games were built in boxes that actually met the needs of the components. I would actually buy more games. I mean, that's legit. That's not even a joke. Like, I could fit things and move things. That is not the case here. So, I don't know. And it's mostly because of Queen Games because they come out with their super deluxe box versions of things that don't fit anywhere so it's not even a shelf situation anymore it's just like a monstrosity of like endless numbers of queenies that you bought because (laughs) you were you were sure that you were going to play all the things you did not play all the things you did not so it's fun anyway all right anthony so that's everything that we want to get to the table let's look about the games we did get to the table and let everyone know if those games are by and they should run out and pick those games up If those games are a play and they should sit down and play them, if those games are the dodge and they should avoid them, or if those games are, in fact, the dreaded burn. So, Anthony, what do you have up for us this week?
0: All right. So sometimes I review games that are meant for multiple people, but I only play them by myself. Uh, Mm -hmm. But this one is different. It is specifically for solo play, and it converts an existing game. (laughs) Uh, So Concordia Solitaria which I think is a funny name, um, is a solo-only expansion. Well, no, it's not actually a solo-only expansion because it has a 1v1v1 where you can play two players versus the computer, and there's another variant in there as well. But primarily, it's Mm -hmm. a solo expansion. Um, And really what it does is it adds a bot to the game, allowing you to play solo, right? So the basic idea of the game is everything that you know from Concordia I don't need to tell you the rules of Concordia. We've discussed this game on here a million times. You are trading in the Mediterranean. Uh, But the real thing that makes the game so great is you have this growing deck of cards that you kind of add cards to and you play them out and you you have like all the cards available to you at any point in time until you play them down and they're only available again when you take them back up. Um, The Solitaria deck, because that's really all it is. Like the box, it's a little too big. For what it is, it's one deck of cards and three dice, which it's fine. The four dice, I'm sorry. It's fine. There's plenty of stuff in there, but it's not like it could have just been a a tuck box. Right. But stupid shelf presence. Right. Um, So what it does is it replaces the cards that go into the tableau. So you have them Solitaria cards. uh, And so there's 15 cards that will go in the tableau. Right. And that's kind of the, the market. Um, that you typically play with. You have your a new deck of your own wow. cards to play with. You do not use the ones from the base game or Venus. Um, you have the new ones. And then you have Solitaria personality cards that you place face-up when you start the game. And so the reason these cards are all different is because printed on them alongside your actions, which are all the same, all the actions you would normally take in Concordia, no changes, is depending on the action you take, the... AI, Automa, whatever, will take a certain action and it's printed on the card, which is awesome because one of the things about Automa that's so annoying is it usually have a separate deck of cards or a separate reference sheet that you have to take care of or some movement tracker or whatever. And so you take your turn and then you spend three minutes looking up the rules to take the Automa's turn and it's annoying. (laughs) It makes the game take too long. You just want to play your own turn. If you're playing solo, you don't want to play the AI's turn. You want to play your own turn. And so this is a really elegant solution for that where it tells you right on the card what to do. You do it really quickly, and you move on. Um, the rules for yourself don't really change. The game is the same. You are trying to go out and you know place your um, buildings in the different cities and generate the resources and ultimately get as many points as possible based on the cards you pull. And the Solitaria, for the most part, does things that make sense. Um, some of the actions are dice-based, so they where they're going to build um will sometimes depend on the roll of a die. Sometimes it depends on what they have the most of, which does make a lot more sense. <laughs> like if they're going to go build a building, it makes sense to go to a location that correlates to the scoring cards that they have in front of them. But that doesn't always work depending on what the action actually is. So there is some element of, and really all of that works fine. The only thing that I was mildly perturbed at is and this happens in any game with a solo component like this, is the cards they take from the tableau can be kind of random, right? So really, you have to make sure you get the cards you need out of the tableau, like that you purchase from the marketplace before they get them because they're just going to take whatever, right? So sometimes the die will tell them where to go. Sometimes it'll be another action will tell them which card to grab. Sometimes it'll just be the first one in the stack, but it's not necessarily going to correlate to specific scoring mechanisms. It's just going to be, whatever card. Um, so a lot of the times it would take a card that I needed because, uh, so that's like that, that one immersion breaking thing where you have to tweak how you're playing the game. Like everything I did was normal. I'm just trying to maximize my own scoring, except that I would take cards at times when I didn't really want to, <laughs> because um, they, I was afraid that the uh, autumn would take it before me. Uh, the diplomat card is interesting as well. Like when you, play it, you can take any of the available actions from the Solitaria Tableau. So all the cards they take are available. And once you've used one of them, you flip it face down, it's no longer available. So if they have an Architect, which they start with one, um, you can use that Architect action, it flips down, and unless they take another one from the Tableau, you cannot diplomat the Architect action again because it's gone. Um, sure. So you really have to balance that out and make sure You know, like, okay, if I take that right now, is it maximizing the use of that card or should I wait until later and do it then? Um, There are different difficulty levels based on the scoring mechanisms. Um, The base level, you start with 20 points and the uh, AI starts with zero and they score throughout the game. Whereas as in typical Concordia fashion, you score most of your points at the end. Um, But there's a veteran level and an expert level where the scoring starts at different levels. Um, there is a Perfectus Magnus card in a diff- In addition to the Prefect card. So this one will give you that bonus that the Perfectus Magnus would give you, but it's on a card. So you actually get it more often than you would otherwise. Um, and it's compatible with all the maps. So for all the... Some of the maps have different rules, but the tweaks are in the rulebook for the solo. So you don't just have to play the base map. You can play... Whatever you want to do. There's rules in there for salsa, there's rules in there for um specific maps that have different um rules of their own. And yeah, it's good. It's really good. I not the biggest fan of Autumn Bots unless I can find a way to do it really elegantly. So like I don't enjoy playing Scythe solo because I have to look up the movement rules every time I have to take an action, and it's annoying and it takes forever. But Gaia Project's amazing because it's two cards and it tells you everything to do and you can just do it really fast. For a big, heavy game, it does it really well. Um, this one is somehow even more elegant than that. It's just it's quick. It's I looked at the rulebook twice the first time I played and then the, the next two times I didn't look at it at all. It looked really, really smooth. So Concordia Solitaria, if you like Concordia, <laughs> it's a buy. Um, there's no other reason you would buy this because it means you'll be playing more Concordia. Uh, and it's different than b- playing it on the app because you are playing physically in front of you. You can play all the maps, which are not available in the app. And the, comp- the opponent you're up against is a little bit different than, you know, like an AI opponent that will make weird decisions in multiple ways. So highly recommend it. If you like Concordia, want to play it more often, can't get out of the house as much. People don't want to play it, whatever it is. Um, well worth it. It's 30 bucks for one deck of cards and four dice, which is not ideal, but uh, you can get it for 20 something online. It's still a little too much, I think. But it's good. It's good, at least. It's very good.
1: Yeah, I guess considering what Concordia is normally, which is just board, handful of pieces, and cards, it kind of makes sense that that's what we're seeing here. But again, I agree, Anthony. Obviously, there's something odd and different about this, that it's, you know, like you said, $30, 20 $30 for this game. So, um I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure as far as like you said is as as valuable and wonderful the game is. That is a really costly, you know, um part there too, but if you've played Concordia, you know it's one of the modern day classics of classics. If you're looking for trading resources in the Mediterranean, there's I don't think there's a better game out there. Ironically still, I do not own this game because <laughs> everyone I know owns this game. And they always want to play this game because, in fact, it is a very good game, but inevitably, like, I don't need to own this. But, again, if I did want to pick a particular expansion, I guess this would be the one because yeah. Salsa is good, but it really almost – it's it's not tight enough. It's really kind of obtuse in some ways where it's like what the bonuses come out there or good or bad or where you were in a particular turn order – the uh, Venus is, is kind of fun because it's one of those situations where you can play in teams, but obviously now you need a lot of players at the table. This one lets you get the game to the table and play, play right? And, a, and a, it offers you more complexity than you would have normally from Concordia. I would actually play this that you mentioned, then play the online version computer AI kind of thing because it seems like it's a really meaningful challenge. So yeah. I'm glad to see that.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, um, I own Concordia and Venus and salsa and of the maps and I've only played my version of the game like three times because everybody else owns it. Like you said, but yeah. I kept buying the stuff because I like it. it is. And now I'm really excited because I can play all these maps as many times as I want with this expansion, you know, and like my kids are getting older and I'll be able to play it with them mm-hmm. soon. I think they will like it, but right now we're not quite there. And, Since I got this in the mail two weeks ago, I've played it three times already, like three different maps, and that's already three more times than I've played Concordia in the last two years. So (laughs) that's a buy. (laughs) No, I'm excited about that.
1: Anthony, do you happen to have another game, maybe perhaps a game that is greater than any other game has ever existed? Is that game possibly could be maybe in your collection, unplayed as of yet?
0: Oh, yes, the the great game, the, the number one game of all time, soon to be, rising fast in the ranks. Um, yeah, no, I got my copy of Arc Nova in, I actually got it in on Monday, we're recording on Friday, uh, but it's been a week. So I have not played it yet, but I have almost gotten through the rules and I did punch it and it takes up way too much space. So the table I was trying to use did not work. I'm going to try again tomorrow night, but <laughs> um, it's it's got animals and it's got 400 cards or whatever. So it definitely has a uh, Terraforming Mars vibe that we talking about.
1: The fact that Anthony has not left his family and his livelihood yet to play this mm-hmm. game, you know, as his new addiction is, is, is pretty commendable of him. But I would obviously like everyone out there just to kind of join me in getting Anthony to get this game to the table. Because again, as we all know, it's the second coming of board gaming and Anthony has it in his hands. And I think we all want to know why it is in fact the greatest game that was ever invented so
0: i will report back to you all next week uh on my first solo plays of the greatest mm-hmm. game that's ever been created in the history of games nice and, uh, nice why it might the have to best game we might have
1: to end the podcast there like there may I not know, be yep. any reason
0: <laughs> if that's it if there's nothing above that then what are we even doing
1: I don't know. Like, we might get through the next podcast and get to that part of the podcast and be just like, why even bother any longer? Like, clearly, there's no other reason. There's no reason to go forward at this point. So (laughs) listen to that partial episode next week where Anthony plays a solo version, and then we no no longer need to broadcast any longer. We will finally be done in our mission to find the greatest board game of all time. So... (laughs) And again, if if it's not maybe the solo greatest game of all time, but maybe once we play it together, maybe it'll be the greatest game of all time and we'll pack our bags and just make it the Arc Nova podcast where each and every week we go over one single card for the next four or five hundred episodes or something. I don't oh my know. Gosh, I
0: don't I don't know that our new sponsor was aware that this is what we were doing. So. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Arc Nova. Well,
1: I can't wait to see. Let's let's see how great it is. But Anthony, before we get into that. Um, let me talk about a board game that we, you, and I got to the table, and again, not not a board game that um, everyone has played because, you know, pandemic, so to speak. And this came out during that height. This is the Lars, the Lost Ruins of Arnek. Obviously, we reviewed this. Anthony was in your top one hundred with a bullet. I don't know if the bullet is enough of a bullet to take out Arc Nova, but this obviously <laughs> was one of your favorite games, right? <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. They, we did the top 100 a month after I did this review, and it was my number 18 wow. right, right off the bat. So That's... Uh, it's still sitting around 18 after a year, but it's because it rose so fast so quickly. <laughs> so,
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, Ark Nova is a game that we both are enjoyed and loved. I think Ark Nova and I guess this game, Lost Ruins, and also Dune. I guess has been those three games that have gotten a lot of table time for most gamers out there because that's what we hear and see all the time. But Lost Lost Ruins of Arnak is all about exploring an island, finding resources and uh, taking out baddies as you get all the, all the fun stuff that comes along with like, I guess exploring what must be one of those kind of prehistoric worlds out there with giant creatures and lost, Lost Ruins about. But If you liked all that collection and a lot of, you know, deck building and action selection, hey, guess what? There's an expansion. So Arnek Expedition Leaders recently came out. Uh, This is also for one to four players. And this allows you to add a lot of goodness to your table. So basically in the game, there's 18 additional items, 12 new artifacts, three new assistants, four new idols, five... Golden rings, no. Five guardians uh, and a bunch of new sites that you can kind of put into play here. There's a couple of new ways to play with the game. The fact there's a new board that you can play with that expands the research track. And again, if you've ever played this game previously, you know it's all about the track. So expanding the research track is a lot of fun. So it's not just one straight kind of down the line. That's a lot of fun. And But really what you're here for is the expedition leaders. Because the expedition leaders give asymmetrical gameplay elements to the game. Uh, let's start off with one of the six leaders here. The captain for, focuses on archaeologists. So they get to use one additional one in the game. And obviously that allows for a lot of additional actions to be able to be take. And also blocks up the board a bit. Uh, the falconer uses a falcon token that's going to bring rewards in throughout the game. And then there's ways to activate the falcon and move that around. The baroness, uh, she's all about income one of the fun things about uh, Loris Ruins that I like a lot is you'll be able to buy all of those kind of special item cards. So what she's able to do is not just buy the cards and get income in for that, but she has a way to actually move those cards right to your hand. So if you've ever played Arnak, you know that when you buy those really awesome items, they go basically to your, to your discard to come up and hopefully the next round. But this, this character ensures that they actually go into your hand. Uh, the professor has a lot of resource resources because the professor loves artifacts and being able to utilize the compass and tablet that the professor gets into play allows them to use more artifacts. And again, another really big fun part of the game. So awesome. And then we have two more kind of oddities here. The explorer is just one singular explorer out there, but the explorer uses snacks. Yes, snacks to be able to lift themselves off of that spot, and then she moves to one of those other spots on the board. So you lose an arc, you lose an archaeologist, but you gain snacks. Okay, so snacks move you around to, to other locations, and also her snacks come into play when she actually re- uses some cards. And finally, the mystic, uh, really interesting, all about exiling those kind of fear cards that come into the game that really clog up your deck and score score negative points throughout the game. Each of these characters play differently. Each of these characters come with their own special cards that are added to your deck. So if you're going to win this game, first, you should have a good knowledge base of Arnak before you walk into this game. Otherwise, you're going to have a bad day. Second, (laughs) each of these characters really benefits off utilizing their assistance. So again, if you're going to be buying... Um, for example, using the Baroness and you're going to be buying a lot of items, you probably would love to have somebody who gets you more money in the game. Or if you have the Mystic, you want to be able to get someone in the game that helps you knock out all those fear cards. So strategic gameplay is key here. And that's what I really like about this because, again, Arnek with the single board and the single you know items that pop up becomes a little bit samey. The Expedition Leaders are a lot of fun. I would recommend playing with them after you've played the base game. Uh, but for me, I will always play with the leaders because I think it just adds more to the game in a different way. It kind of separates the gameplay because as it stands now, everyone is kind of doing the same things and looking for the same resources. This really opens the game up a lot more, especially with the new tracks. So it's a buy.
0: Yeah, 100% with you. Um, the the thing about Arnak, and I love this game, like I said, top 20 within a month. Uh, but it does get a little samey and you do end up focusing on the same, like one or two areas because they're true. You know, the card, the decks are not terribly big. You get to know the cards pretty quickly and the research track really is more valuable if all other things being equal. Right. So having the expedition leaders makes it so you can go in a different direction and still have a chance to win the game and have fun doing it. Right. Like I had the professor last time we played and I ended up with like 12 artifacts, which I've never done, I've never even come close because they use so many tablets and it's hard yes. to get those tablets. But because you get the tablets kind of feed to you uh, as the professor, and they're easier to find and you get this bonus of utilizing them. It makes sense. And it forces you to go in that direction, just like a little nudge. It's not like super overpowered, just a little nudge. And it's it's more fun that way, right? It gives you a direction to go, and you go that direction and you focus there, right? So I was totally focused on artifacts. Um, you know, uh we were Jeremy who we we're playing with was totally focused on fear cards, did not love the fear cards, but that's the direction he had to go. Um I've played with the Explorer as well, which I think you had, where you get that one pawn, but if you manage it right, you can get three or four actions per turn instead of the one or instead of the two that you normally get. And so you actually net more stuff in the game. But you can also mess it up, which I think is what's really cool here. They're not so OP that you just get a ton of extra stuff. They're designed in a way where you need to play it properly or you or it doesn't work, right? And then it messes you up even further, which is why, like what you're saying, Chris, if, if you haven't played the game before, this is not going to go well for you. <laughs> um, you need to know what you're trying to do with it. So anyways, long-winded way of saying I agree. It's a buy. It's amazing. Adds a lot to the game. Uh, There's a lot in the box, which this expansion is also $30, which you compare this to Solitaria and there's like way more stuff in this box. But, you know, I know we don't assign value based on components, but a, (laughs) a lot more stuff in the box, guys.
1: But if we did, then this one would certainly win the day. So, mm-hmm. not terribly surprising there. But yeah, no, I, I like this. And I, and I think, Anthony, you make a good point there. There are some expansions and there are some games where you get a bonus, but in order to get a bonus, you have to take a negative along with that bonus. And I think that's very true here because it does put you on rails to a certain destination. And there's not too much you could do about it. You're that's that's what you're doing. You can't kind of work around it. When you play some other games, you can certainly work around. It. So if you play Seven Wonders, you don't have to fulfill the wonder stages. You could just play around the wonder and still win the game. Here, you certainly do need to play into the character, otherwise, you're not going to get the bonus. It's like you said, the Explorer one you know one meeple goes out there on the board to activate one thing if you don't utilize or have the resources for your snacks it's ridiculous that i'm saying this out loud but if you have the resources for your snacks when you're in the jungle then i don't know if you know this anthony because you're not a jungle explorer like i am but you gotta (laughs) yeah because look man you gotta have snacks that's why you're not a jungle explorer you don't know about snacks so, yeah, snacks are the thing. <laughs> Otherwise, you only have one activation that round, and that kind of is lame. But nonetheless, it's a great expansion if you love Arnek. If you don't love Arnek, I don't think this is going to change it for you. But, yeah. again, if you're on the line, it's one of those situations where it does open the game up. And, again, one of the unsung, I guess, hero moments of this is the definitely the expanded research track. Um, so it's not that single line where everyone's trying to get that jewel. We all need to get that jewel. Nope, now you can take your own path in a more meaningful way, so
0: yeah yeah it's it's you know there's some expansions where you're fixing a big problem in a game. This doesn't do that. It amplifies and enhances existing stuff that people like, so it's definitely like, do you like this? Here's some more, <laughs> like not did you not like this? Now we fixed it It's not one of those expansions, not so much.
1: All right, so that's all the games that hit our table this week. Now on to our feature review. So our feature review this week is Board Game Geek's Hotness for February 2022. It is a hot February, and of course, it has to be because of the cardboard. Anthony, my friend, run us through the hotness and let us know why those games actually rose in temperature.
0: All right. Loving the theme. It's good. It was hot today, too. It was like 60 degrees. Uh <laughs> So let's dive in. Um, So again, top 50 on the Board Game Geek hotness. We're not going to touch on every single game because some of these games are here every single month. And that would be boring. So we're going to talk about the ones that are interesting. Uh, So diving right in, uh, number 49, Great Western Trail, second edition. This was released last year at Gen Con as like a revamp of Great Western Trail. So people are talking about that. But there's also another version of it coming out this year in the summer was it the Argentina or something? Um, they're going to release three versions of this over the course of three years. So people are talking about that. Cause more information about it coming out. Um, <laughs> number 48, massive darkness Two: hellscape. This is a game that was on Kickstarter. Oof. I don't even know when this was on Kickstarter. So last year, the year before, I don't know. There, It's, it's coming along. It's shipping out. Um, so we both, backed the original Massive Darkness. I didn't like it. I ended up selling it. Did you ever end up playing that?
1: I never ended up playing it, and I still have my copy sealed. So I was actually looking at this expansion and being like, hey, I should buy this because it makes the game so much better. And then I was just like, am I really going to spend $200 more in a game that I have not played because I heard it was so bad that it needed to come out (laughs) with an expansion to fix it? I'm like... I don't know somewhere in that calculation i felt very dumb for a minute and i was just like yeah i can't be backing this so i didn't back it but now i'm still holding on to the to the first edition so yeah i I, i'm i'm hoping that this along with my bitcoin are going to pop any second so (laughs) you know the nfts of all this is going to make me all the monies because clearly buying kickstarters is beneficial for your long-term investments kids
0: I'm telling you, man, those CMON miniatures are the original NFTs. It's true. Just go up in value. (laughs) Um, All right. So number 47 is Block by Block, the Insurrection game. And this is actually on here because of the third edition of the game, which just launched on GameFound. Um, I've never played this. Have you played this? I haven't played this, but I I did do a a preview of this way back in the day, an acquisition
1: disorder, because this was really interesting to me. Again, it was a really unfortunately timely theme that we're dealing mm-hmm. with but it offers that kind of kind of competitive slash co-op play and they've just done some really great games here this again you a game found came this out the only problem i have with game found is like if you didn't back it on kickstarter and game found like puts out the new edition it's like get ready to pay another 20 to 50 to bucks more and just like why why are you doing that but yes it's it's good that it's out again i think it's something that everyone should take a look at
0: yeah it's definitely on my radar um yeah thematically but also like it, it just looks good like they upgraded the artwork that like and it's it's actually higher on the list we'll get to it in a minute but um the old version is on here at 47 mm-hmm. uh so moving up the list because we got a bunch of stuff that's kind of familiar. We got Potoku at 43. We reviewed that last week on the podcast, so go back and listen to our review what we think about Potoku, which somehow still has an 8.0 rating on BoardGameGeek. Y'all are crazy. Um, So There's a hint at my review. (laughs) Um, Eclipse, Second Dawn for the Galaxy is up to number 40. It's actually moved up a little bit. I think this game's actually becoming a little bit easier to find, but still not super easy. So more people get their hands on it. It rises in the ratings a little bit. This was a Kickstarter thing, so it was one of those pay a ton of money up front and hopefully the game is good. A bunch of people did that, a bunch of people didn't. Now it becomes more available, hopefully. Um, We have up here at number 33, Dune Imperium Rise of Ix. This is the expansion for Dune Imperium, which I do have. Um, This was an expansion that came with a new house, new technologies, new... Bits, new leaders, all sorts of new stuff, all the new stuff. So this is, again, another one of those expansions that adds to the things you like about a game. Did not fix the things we didn't like about the game. But, it's, you know, the number 16 game on Board Game Geek, maybe they didn't feel like they needed to fix anything. Uh, 31, Dwellings of Eldervale. Uh, this game is, I, I know they're reprinting it. I don't know if they're releasing an expansion just yet, but I know he's working on one. Uh, but... Famously unavailable after the Kickstarter stock ran out. Like, big, big game, did a ton of numbers. People were super impressed with it. I didn't back it, very much regretted it because I did not realize that the designer was the designer of Energy Empire, one of my favorite games of all time, or I would have backed it. Uh, so, new versions of this coming out very soon, uh, I think. So, people are getting hyped about that, including myself. I'm on the mailing list, going to get a copy this time. Um, we have moving up the list a little bit further radlands at number 29 Uh, it's actually down a little bit but the this game has actually been recommended to me by a couple people it's got 8.4 on board game geek Um, it's a two-player only card game but just like really cool post-apocalyptic but neon like cyberpunk-ish artwork Um, very bright very very colorful and it's one of those dueling card games, but it apparently works really well. So it's it's a game I'd like to try out if I can get my hands on a copy. Um, next up on the list, we have um, the Terracotta Army at number 20. This is a game from Board and Dice, um, very recently announced. And so they like to announce their games very early on. And uh, it's, it's about building the Terracotta Army, which famously was housed in to to protect the emperor in the afterlife, so very similar to um some other uh, kind of end of end of life protections <laughs> in other cultures um it it's from Adam Adam kopinsky can't say his name properly apparently um who worked on nemesis and a lot of other those big games um and oof I'm not gonna say the first name but fornal the other designer uh don't know a lot about the game yet. Looks interesting, but um presumably will be on Kickstarter or something like it very soon. Um Block by Block Uprising is number 19 on the list. So this is the they they're calling it the ultimate edition of the Insurrection game. Uh it looks cool. It's cute little block people running around rising up. So uh, a good theme but a, a cute implementation of the theme. Founders of Teotihuacan we talked about this before. That's at number sixteen. This is from Board and Dice as well, um, and from longtime employee of Founders of Tattuakan, Philip, or not of Board and Dice, who designed Founders of Tattuakan, Philip Glawich. Uh, It's a city building game. Little tiles that you're building out a city. It sounds very similar to Founders of Gloomhaven, just on paper. But I can't imagine that's what they're doing. But we'll see <laughs> when it releases. Uh, Number 14 is Boone Lake. This is the new one from Alexander Pfister. It shipped out a couple of weeks before Arc Nova, so it officially doesn't exist. Blah, get out of my head. Um, I do have a copy, though, so I'll play that after Arc Nova. Uh, Mind Management, Mind MGMT, the psychic espionage game. Uh, I believe this has an expansion up on Kickstarter right now, so it's up at number 12. By all accounts, this is a very good hidden movement Uh type of game so that you have people trying to track each other down there's like spies tracking down a recruiter um it's based on a comic book series and the artwork in the game is from the original artist of the comic book series which is very cool i wish all these adaptations did that that's a very cool way to do it Uh, number 10 is rolling heights this is a new game from aeg uh, and john d clare who's Uh, The guy behind Mystic Veil and Edge of Darkness and all those big AEG games. Um, It's on Kickstarter right now. It involves rolling meeples. And they're normal meeples, so I guess you're just rolling them to see if they land on their head or not. I'm not 100% sure how that works, but you're building a city, rolling meeples. Uh, We did get to see a demo of this at uh, PAX, and it looked cute. It looked interesting, but we didn't get a chance to play it in full. Um, Number eight. We haven't talked about this one yet. Libertalia Winds of Galecrest. This is uh, Stonemeyer Games is re-releasing Libertalia, which is been around for a while. It was out of print for a long time. Um, this version of it apparently revamps a lot of elements to it, including the artwork. It's much more colorful now than the old version. Um, did you ever play Libertalia? I think I played it once a long time ago
1: um but i don't have any real memories of it in fact i know it's been kind of a classic game around there for a while but i think i I won't even say that i even played it i think i played a portion of it at one point but not enough for a review because now i don't remember reviewing it so yeah i was surprised that this this is kind of be reprinted and put that back out there in the world
0: yeah yeah it was a it was a big surprise because i don't know that still myers done that before like all their games are new uh I don't think they've gone back into the well to bring old games back, but it seems to have a lot of changes. So I've never played Libertalia. I'm willing to try this, but it's not like I don't have the nostalgia bug that a lot of people do. Nope, me either. Um, At number six, we have Ostia, which is from designer Totsuka Chu, and it worked on Aqua Garden and the Arctic um, Japanese board game designer. And this game is up on Kickstarter right now. And it's being pitched as a Trajan-like Mancala system game. So it is based in ancient Rome as well. It's about the ports um, in the city. And it's got a really interesting look to it. So it's very blue. <laughs> it's got almost like the French... Um, I can't remember the word for it exactly, but like Oriflamme kind of has this look of uh, kind of the French calligraphy blue with a bright, bold color the white on blue. Um and Moncala system, it's got elements of trajan. I looked at it this morning because I was like, do I want to back this? The thing is, it's very expensive. If you want the deluxe version, it's $98. Then you got shipping on top of that. So ugh. but um it looks good. It it seems like one of those games that I'll not back. I'm almost certainly not backing this, and will regret it later because people will come out and be like, this is amazing. And I'm like, yeah, but it was $120. I don't know. <laughs> so. Um, number five is Tindaya. Um, this is a new civilization type game, um, where you are trying to please the gods on the Canary islands in the 15th centuries. So you are representing an Aboriginal tribe trying to survive uh, in the world and dealing with different natural disasters and the will of the gods. Um, I I can't quite tell if the theme is doing what it needs to do to be appropriate, but it is different, right? It's the age of exploration. The conquistadors are out there. They're sniffing around. They're going to find it soon. Um, And you are playing as a native people of this, of this region, which is good. It's not just people exploring. Um, So it looks interesting. A lot of people talking about it. This is from a first time designer um, out of Spain. And, yeah, I don't know. It's I need to see more information about it. It's going to be on... not I don't know if it's going to be on Kickstarter or not. It's on a German crowdfunding site that'll be on here pretty soon. But um, I, I do look forward to seeing more information about the game. Uh, number four, Tiny Epic Dungeons. This is a Tiny Epic game. Ta-da! I don't know. There's a billion of these. Uh, presumably it just shipped it's probably why it these things always pop up when they just ship because 20,000 people back all of them. Um <laughs> I dropped out a while ago, I just don't play the things, but um they're cute. I like I like the idea behind them. I wish they were a little bit better. Uh number 3 arc no, but number 3 What are you doing people? This is the best game that's ever been made on the history of board games. And number 3 Shame. Whatever. Shame. We'll talk next week. Shame. <laughs> Uh, all right, number two Kingdoms Forlorn Dragons, Devils, and Kings. Uh, this is from Into the Unknown Publishing, it's on Kickstarter right now, and it is a solo cooperative dungeon delving game for one to four players in which you look for loot and go through stories, and it's making all the money. It's, it's like 700,000 euros right now. Um,
1: Polish why? adventure
0: games, man. I don't why, know why, man. <laughs>
1: Again, like, this is like a queen game kind of thing. Like, we just talked about so many games with plastic miniatures delving and diving through a dungeon. Like, I can't imagine that all of you have nostalgia from going down to dungeons. So, what's up, bro? <laughs> like, seriously, what's
0: happening? I don't know. The miniatures look cool. They, but they certainly do. How many miniatures cool? do we need to own? I I own a lot of miniatures, but but how many, right? How many? That's going to be question of the week. What is the exact number of
1: <laughs> miniatures that you need to own? If you go over, you're wrong. But again, they're miniatures, so there is no going over. Yeah. So you're always right.
0: Yeah. We mock, but I haven't played this. I, I never will, but it just, there's so many of these. And I, that's what I'm mocking. It's not this game in particular. This game might be no. amazing. I don't know, but it's the fact that there's like 50 of them and they all take like a hundred hours to play and they all cost like $300 and like, you can't buy all of them. So how do you know which ones are good? This is how a game like nemesis creeps up on us. And it's like, we're the number 20 game of all time. I'm like, how, where did that come from? I don't know. <laughs> uh, all right. And number one earth, which I already talked about, uh, Yeah, that one's on Kickstarter right now. So I don't have to rehash that one. But um, people are pretty hyped about that one right now, too. So there you go. The Board Game Geek Hotness as of February 21st, 2022. Check it out. And lots of new games popping up. It's that time of year.
1: Yeah, so a lot of great games to get to the table. So enhance your cardboard world and stay warm with the BGG hotness for February 2022. All right, everyone. That's everything for this week, but until next time, unless you're on Patreon, because there's always something new on Patreon, this is Chris, and this is Anthony, and we'll see you all see at the table. Take care.